Gracious God, uh, Lord, we give you thanks for the ways that you work in our lives, that you've gathered us here in this place, that you fill us with your presence, with your word, uh, Lord. And we ask that you would help us to see you for who you are, to see you in the ways that you reveal to us in your lives, the way that you walk through us in every season and in all things, because that is who you are. You reign over all things as the king. Fill us with your word today. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So for the past few weeks, I guess you could say now, I've had some uh, familiar song lyrics going through my head. It's the most wonderful time of the year. My wife's really smiling right now because she knows, and you all know I have a really strong rule about listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, okay? But I couldn't help but get those song lyrics out of my head because it really is the most wonderful time of the year. But do you know why? It's because today, in fact, 23 minutes ago at 11 o'clock, the beginning of the most incredible sporting event of the year began. That's right, the World Cup is here and it started and I waited four long years for this wonderful day. And I'm, I'm so excited for it. So excited. It's really so wonderful. And here's the thing. If you don't know what the World Cup is, right, it's, it's a tournament that happens in soccer every four years where teams from all around the world come and play against each other. And it goes on for a month. So the last time the World Cup took place, I was uh, an intern at the church in Denver. And usually it happens in the months of June and July. So I was kind of coming towards the end of my internship there. It was my last month. And so uh, my supervisor told me that when he wrote his final report back to the seminary, Apparently, he included something along these lines. Nick has been relatively useless for the last month due to the World Cup. Good luck to his next church. Now, what my supervisor didn't know was that my next church was going to be so loving and so gracious that they weren't going to need me for a whole month. So really what I'm saying is thank you to all of you today, okay? Thank you for that, yeah. Uh, obviously, that's not the case given all the worship opportunities we have going on, but nonetheless, the excitement is here. And at the same time, and kind of more importantly, more significantly, today is an exciting day for all of us. It's an exciting day in the life of the church. Uh, today is kind of a day that is really close to uh, Happy New Year. That's something we could say to each other because it's the last Sunday in the church year. And what that means is next Sunday when we gather, we'll have started a new year and a new season, and we enter into the season of Advent. And so today is a day of celebration, a day when uh, we give thanks, and interestingly enough, we celebrate one of the answers to uh, the question that you have placed before you. Who is Jesus? See, our celebration this morning will be, will be guided by an answer to this question. And if you were with us last week, you know that I asked the question, where's Jesus in relationship to a really difficult text? And if you're wondering why I've been asking all these questions recently in the context of reading the Bible, it's actually because of a, a book that I read that a friend of mine wrote and just came out recently. The book is called 10 Questions to Ask Yourself Every Time You Read the Bible. And interestingly enough, what I found through reading that book and then reading the Bible is that my understanding of everything going on has been deepened through simple questions like the one you have before you, who is Jesus? Or as it's asked in scripture, who are you, Lord? And so uh, this morning we find ourselves wrapped around this question and in the context of our celebration, we have one very clear answer. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is king. 
But if you were following along with our scripture lesson, uh, maybe that didn't really come out so clearly in Luke's gospel. See, in Luke's gospel account, uh, we have to kind of take a step back just before our gospel reading began and begin where the passage begins in verse 26. Luke wants us to see this perspective, this story, how this shapes out in the midst of three separate groups of people. So the first group is identified in verses 26 and 27. It says, as they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming from, in, from the countryside. And the soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. So, here we are at the crucifixion. And the first perspective that Luke invites us to see is a crowd of women who are grieving Jesus. Beaten battered and bloodied before them Jesus can no longer bear the cross on his back and these women are in such deep grief over what they're seeing and yet as Jesus hears their grief he speaks to them he says daughters of Jerusalem don't weep for me but weep for yourselves and for your children so in the midst of, of exhaustion and immense suffering Jesus speaks a word of judgment that is, well, terrifying, right? In the midst of, of these women grieving over how bad it is for Jesus, over what they're seeing, Jesus tells them they should really be crying over their future, over their lives, and the future lives of their children. And Jesus goes on to say that the coming judgment is going to be so bad, things are going to be so bad, that people are going to cry out that they wish the mountains would collapse on them. That's how bad things are going to get. That in the midst of a seemingly dark moment, Jesus foreshadows something that's even worse. Now, I have a bit of a confession to make that when I read this passage earlier this week, it felt like something I'd never heard before. That in all the times that I've heard the crucifixion story and all the times I've heard it in the Gospel of Luke, I felt like this was new information for me. That, and maybe that's the case for you too, that when you hear this story, it's kind of so familiar, we kind of just rush because we know how it ends. Right, and so all of our attention is focused on the crucifixion, on what's coming, and yet uh, this morning I want to just sit in this moment here. I want to see who Jesus is for these women. See, because as I did, I found myself asking, what kind of king is this? Right, what kind of king tells people that things are only going to get worse when it seems like they can't get any worse. It kind of sounds like, uh, you know, whenever you're having a really bad day and you think to yourself, what else could possibly go wrong? Only for something to immediately then go wrong. Or I think we've, we've all been there before. And so uh, these women, that's what it's like for them. Perhaps the worst day that they've experienced thus far. Jesus is barely making it past them. They watched as he's been beaten and dehumanized and embarrassed in front of crowds for hours now. And in their moment where, where perhaps they wanted to see Jesus as king, this isn't exactly the king they wanted. Right? If, if anything, they wanted to hear Jesus speak, but speak words of comfort. They wanted to perhaps hear Jesus say, it's all going to be okay. But he doesn't do that here. Instead, Jesus uh, continues on to tell them about how sad it's going to be for them and for their children. About how bad the coming judgment is going to be. About how worse things are going to get. So what kind of king is this? 
right, it would seem that this isn't the kind of king that they wanted. And if, if that's kind of the point that Luke is driving us to, then we begin to see this come even clearer with this next group of people. See, at this moment, I think it's, it's fair to say we want to kind of take a break from the story, but instead, Luke invites us to look a little closer. This time, a new crowd has emerged, a new group of people, and the scene is set. Luke invites us to see things through the eyes of the religious leaders and the soldiers. So now, Jesus is being nailed into the cross. The nails are, are piercing his hands and his feet. The cross is, is being stood up and the criminals are there on the two crosses beside him. And the soldiers, they're there and they're watching and they're shouting out. If he is the chosen one, let him save himself and the others. He, he saved himself before. Or he saved other people before. Why can't he save himself now? Right, the soldiers then continue to mock him and they, they offer him that, that cheap, sour wine. And finally, they cry out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And we all know about that sign fastened above the cross. The sign that says, this is the king of the Jews. Consider how much has changed since the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Right, if, if we look in the Gospel of John, we, we're told that wonderful story of how Jesus turns water into wine. And this is the finest wine the people will ever drink. And yet now at the end of it all, Jesus has served the cheapest wine. The wine that not even the thirstiest of people would have wanted to drink. So what kind of king is this? Right, uh, for this crowd, this is not the behavior of a king. To, to this crowd, to these religious leaders and these people, Jesus was a phony. He was a fake. He wasn't powerful like he claimed to be. He wasn't the Messiah they'd heard about. And he most definitely was not their king. Right? It seems that everything we've heard thus far points to Jesus being the opposite of a king, at least in regards to the king that the people want. It's even ironic, right, that sign. It's supposed to be a point of irony that it says, here is the king of the Jews. Because we're, we're pointed again back to John's gospel in the telling of the story when, when Pilate stands before them and he asks the people, shall I crucify your king? And the people shout back to him, we have no king but Caesar. Uh, the, the people here are uplifting a man that they always wanted to overthrow just because they didn't see Jesus as a king because Jesus was not the king they wanted. See, the king of the Jews was supposed to be better than David. Uh, the king of the Jews was supposed to give the people uh, political power to overthrow Caesar. And at the very least, he was supposed to give the people a uh, social status. He was supposed to confirm that they were the social elite. Jesus was supposed to be this, this strong and mighty warrior, able to defeat anything physically speaking. Right? And so what kind of king would allow himself to be crucified? What kind of king would allow himself to, to be crucified between two criminals? Not their king. This was not the king that they wanted. And maybe you're starting to wonder like I did, so who wanted this king? Right, because it doesn't really seem like anyone does. And then Luke invites us one more time to look closer. This time to, to get as close as we possibly can. To see Jesus from the two men on the crosses next to him. And the first man looks at Jesus and he says, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. 
even though many of us would probably never admit it, I think we can all relate to how this man feels. Right? We've all wanted to be saved from being punished for something that we deserve. Or better yet, we've wanted Jesus to just look past the bad things that we've done. Right? That, that's really all this guy is asking for here. Jesus, who cares what we've done? Who cares what you even did? Just come down off the cross. Show these people. If there were ever a moment for you to show, for you to prove that you are the king, this is it. But once again, Jesus is not the king that this man wanted. So what about you? Uh, is this the king that you want? Uh, do you want a king who, who tells you that things are only going to get worse? Uh, do you want a king who allows criminals to mock him instead of exhorting his power over them? Do you want a king who says to the people who are putting him to death, Father, forgive them? Do you want a king who asks for forgiveness for the people who are putting the nails in his hands and in his feet? As I asked myself these questions, I felt like I don't really know if that's the kind of king that I want. And in the context of reading the crucifixion story so many times, there have been moments where I found myself thinking, imagine what it would have been like if Jesus jumped down off the cross. Just imagine how crazy that would have been. Right? We, we can't even fathom that kind of thought because it would have been so surreal, so supernatural, it would have been like a, a superhero movie. Right? It would have been like when a superhero is on the brink of death, and then, man, they just come back to life. Jesus would have jumped down off the cross, and everyone would have been shocked. And there would have been probably so much celebration. People would have been like, it's true, he is the king. This would have been his moment. Right? But, but the thing about it is, that's what makes Jesus different. Jesus is not a superhero in some fantasy world. Jesus is real for me and for you. Jesus is, is a real man. He is true God and true man. And Jesus doesn't jump off of the cross because that's what we want to happen. Instead, Jesus stays on the cross because that's what we need to happen. See, Jesus isn't the king that we want. Jesus is the king that we need. And this is made clear to us in that final perspective, the, the moment in which the other man on the other cross speaks. And he, in his confession, he makes clear who Jesus is. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. As everyone else was deriding Jesus for being a fraud, for not acting like a king, the man on the cross next to him sees Jesus in a way that changes his life. This man sees Jesus as a king and his confession of Jesus as king changes our perspective and allows us to see that everything Jesus was doing was part of how he rules and reigns in his kingdom. For the women in that first crowd, crying and, and grieving, Jesus comes to them as a king that is deeply grieved over the suffering of his people. That in this moment of great suffering that he is going through, Jesus is feeling the grief of these women for the suffering that they will have to endure. And for uh, the religious leaders and the soldiers who are mocking him, Jesus comes as a king who is willing and ready to forgive his worst offenders as they put him to death. Jesus cries out as the nails go into his hands and his feet. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
these men are mocking Jesus. They've been doing it for, for weeks and for hours and days at a time now. And in this moment, when they are putting him to death, Jesus comes as a king who wants to forgive them all. For the criminal on the cross, uh, the first one, who wants Jesus to jump down from the cross and to, to save him and to save his friend, Jesus instead remains on the cross. And he says nothing, and in doing so says everything. That in this moment, for this man, without saying a word, Jesus remains on the cross and he reveals that he is the kind of king who confronts sin and the consequences of sin. That Jesus takes on the reality of the punishment of sin, which is death, and he faces it in its fullness so that we don't have to bear that weight any longer. And for this last criminal, for uh, the man who sees Jesus as king, Jesus speaks words of comfort and of hope. That this man sees Jesus as a king with mercy that only a king can show. And as mercy pours out of Jesus, Jesus makes the promise that only a king can make. He says to that man, today you will be with me in the paradise of my kingdom. You know, uh, when we started this morning, we were asking the question, who is Jesus? But as we close, I want to ask you all a different question. Who are you? Are you someone who is crying over the suffering that Jesus has endured on your behalf? Or are you someone who, who is frustrated with Jesus, frustrated with how things are going in your life or in the world, and you don't always agree with what he's doing because we don't fully understand it? Are you someone who's just ready to give up on him at this point because you feel like he's given up on you? Are you someone who wants Jesus to affirm your bad decisions or the things you've done because you know that he loves you? Are you someone who needs the mercy of Jesus to come upon you because you feel of the weight of your sin collapsing on top of you? Whoever you are, wherever you are with whatever going on in your life, I want you to know that Jesus is your king. And he may not be the king that you want, but he is the king that you need. Because as your king, he reigns over everything going on in your life. He is the king who mourns with you. Who feels your grief and your pain and your sorrow and he grieves right there with you. He is the king who, who steps in on your behalf and who desires to forgive you for the sins you know and the ones you don't. Jesus is your king who comes to shed his blood on the cross for you so that the weight of your sin will no longer hold you down. Jesus is the king who comes with grace and mercy flowing out of his body and his blood so that you will know of his great love for you. So that you will see that as he rules and as he reigns, he does it all for you. As your king, he comes to promise you that because he rules and he reigns over all things and because he loves you, he wants you to be with him forever. As your king, he invites you to believe that on that last day, that when he returns with all of his glory, when he comes back to renew all of creation, he will speak 
those same words of promise, of comfort, and of hope to you. Just like he did on that night so long ago when he was reigning on the cross. He'll look at you and he'll say, today you will be with me in paradise. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.